You're listening to The Worship Review, a podcast which evaluates contemporary Christian music for the good of the church to the glory of God. This podcast is for the whole church to encourage thoughtful engagement with the words, emotions, and ideas in our music. We hope you enjoy this week's episode. Howdy, Colin. Well, howdy to you, Tyler. I do well, thank you. How are you doing? I didn't actually ask you how you were doing. But you said how oh, I did. Yeah, I did. Darn it. See, listeners, this is how you can tell when you are in the American South. If you say howdy and people respond with fine or great or okay, how are you? That's how you know. That's right. But neither of us is from the South, so perhaps we're not in a position to pontificate. No. My name is Tyler. I'm a linguist and a former worship leader, as I was called. And I'm joined, as ever, by my co-host and friend... Most of the time, Colin. <laughs> That's me. I'm Colin, uh, and I am a history professor at a research university in the Midwest, where I study the ancient world. What well, do you have to tell us about the ancient world? Well, it's ancient. It's very old. Is it like our modern world, or is it unlike our modern world? It's exactly like the modern world, when yeah. people are like, what's the same? What's different? I'm like, everything is exactly the same. Yeah. You're basically... It's just totally the same. On this podcast, generally speaking, we look at Christian worship music, which is its own sort of genre, and we analyze the texts. What we try to do is be fair, yet critical in an analysis, hoping to offer worship leaders, worship pastors, and laymen a critical analysis of the songs that are being sung in their churches, or perhaps... uh, uh, fodder for canons uh, to be to fend off songs that should not be sung in their churches. Yeah, you know, we're giving the average layperson in the church as well something they can send to their worship leaders and pastors to bring them great annoyance and consternation as well. Yep. Who are these yahoos that have think they deserve to have opinions about these songs when they are nobodies in the uh, Christian music world? Tyler and I did lead worship for some time. Um, but no, never had a never had a big hit, did we, Tyler? Well, you never had a big hit. Oh, right, fair enough. On this episode, we're taking a look at a song called My Jesus by Ann Wilson from Lexington, Kentucky. A a young superstar it seems or her yeah. song has really taken off and gained prominence. And from what I understand, she was noticed by the Christian music industry at the uh, very unfortunate and uh, sad incidents of her uh, brother's uh, funeral, yeah. which she sang at. Yeah, caught the attention and, um, you know, became, you know, went ahead and recorded a, a few songs, and this was one of those songs, and it shot right up the billboard charts number one and that's that's kind of why we're doing it we we wanted to get to a song that is really popular and prominent in the church this is a song that is being sung in churches and you know it'd be useful to have a review of this song yes of course what you're talking about the context does make it uh challenging to review as well because the song was you know really brings this personal aspect of of tragedy into the fore and so that does make it kind of challenging to review it in some respects sure you want to tread carefully on something when you might be treading on someone's uh heartfelt emotions so yeah it's it's kind of like when we did god only knows back in series three we you know the the music video was very serious it was about suicide and uh, that you know, just it gives you pause when you when you begin to pick apart a song because you're aware that there's this this background involved. And in this song, it's even more serious because with God only knows, it was just a story that the suicide part was just kind of made for the music video. Whereas with this song, it's clear that um, you know the it, it, there's a more personal aspect. You know, this Ann Wilson's brother did die and and we don't know whether the song i don't know whether the song was sort of written about that but certainly like the video and and her kind of story is wrapped up in this tragic event yes and so listeners 
Uh, just to be clear, because I think there are things that we will praise in this song, and I think there are things that we will be critical of, or at least I will. Um, to be clear, what we are evaluating is not the context surrounding the formation of these lyrics or um, the emotions that the song uh, sprang from or may produce when you understand the context. What we're trying to do is look at the text itself. And so if we're critical, we're not critical of anything related to the yeah. personal story of this singer, just to be clear. And we're trying to think about these songs as they would be sung in a church context, in a, in a context of bringing these songs as worship to God. So that that is the context in which we place them and evaluate them. We want to make sure that we are aptly critical, yeah. uh, meaning we put on our critical thinking hats, but we don't pretend like we're completely objective. Yeah. So... With that being said, Colin, what is My Jesus about? Uh, this is a song about a Christian observing another Christian who has various challenges. It's not entirely clear what those challenges are, but they seem to revolve largely around what we might call felt needs, needs of um, uh, em- emotive needs. Uh, of various kinds. Those seem to be the challenges that this person is facing. And then the Christian that's singing the song tells the person a few things about Jesus. After saying they're going to tell them about Jesus, they say, well, Jesus makes a way that he's risen from the dead, that he can save sinners, and that this includes actually the person that is being spoken to. So it's it's like a the song is like a story within a story. Like, It's a person telling a story about Jesus to another person. Yes. So the song begins with the singer asking an individual questions about the person's feelings. Yeah. uh, And then really is a kind of testimonial about what Christ has done for that person, including mentioning Calvary and things like that, and uh, is kind of evangelistic in that it invites Mm -hmm. the listener in to share in the joy of the new life in Christ, so to speak. So, let's look at the words, Colin. Are you past the point of weary? Is your burden weighing heavy? Is it all too much to carry? Let me tell you about my Jesus. Do you feel that empty feeling? Are you past the point of weary? Is your burden weighing heavy? Is it all too much to carry? Let me tell you about my Jesus. Do you feel that empty feeling? Cause shame's done all its stealing and you're desperate for some healing. Let me tell you about my Jesus. Well, first thing to point out is some good rhyming here, like some, some, you know, in the last song that we looked at, Andrew Peterson's Is He Worthy, there was a point where he had to find a rhyme for scroll, and so he picked the word whole, um, which, I mean, there was a lot that was great in that song, but I just found that a little bit, you know, just like takes, if you really think about it, it's like, oh, what's going on? Whereas here, uh, I think the rhymes, you know, feeling, stealing, healing, you know, heavy, carry, wary. Um, th- there's kind of some nice, uh, some some nice rhyming there. Although, just the, you know, if we think of the words themselves, we do get a problem right at the beginning. And and again, anyone who's listened to this podcast for more than one episode will notice a, a theme in virtually every song that we look at, and that is that a problem is almost always identified in the first verse. Mm-hmm. And here, the problem is that the person is kind of tired. The person is carrying something. We don't know what it is. Uh, so, I mean, it could be sin, but that's left open at this point in the song. Hmm. And, uh, you know, but it might also just be kind of bad feelings. I mean, it could it could be an emotional burden. It could be a burden of guilt. Um, the Bible does use this kind of language of weight and burden as a euphemism for sin. Um, although the Bible is much clearer about what it means. So this song doesn't, in my view, at least at this point, 
quite define what the burden and what the weight is, but Hebrews 12 verse 1 says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So the Bible seems to kind of analogize the idea of weight to sin. I mean, it does say weight and sin. So those are technically, you could, you could think of those as different things, but I think the comparison is such that you could, uh, the author of Hebrews is clearly making a kind of clarifying point in my view about weight. This is not just a, he doesn't, he doesn't just leave it. He's kind of, he kind of gets into a theological clarity there that I don't think the song quite gets into. Um, and then let me say something about the second problem too, real quick. And that is these kind of bad feelings like uh, emptiness, uh, shame. And there's clearly this need here, I think for some kind of, uh, emotional healing. So the person is feeling some burden of guilt and shame and even even emptiness. And so, yeah, I mean, so again, you could you could get from this a more serious problem like sin. The song doesn't quite take you there. It, it kind of suggests that that sin could be an issue, but at this point doesn't quite go there. I don't know. Do you have other thoughts? Yeah, I have a few thoughts. I'll answer you in the order in which you brought things up. So the rhyming, the first half of this seems like slant rhyme. Yeah. Weary, heavy, carry, where the second syllable of each one of those is identical, or at least the vowel of the second syllable of each of those is always E, but the first half of that is not always uh, a rhyme. The second thing that I would note is there are a number of problems. You identified two, but um, we have tired. We also have heavy laden, which is related, but uh, distinct. Empty. Mm -hmm. And then we have a clarification that that emptiness is is caused by shame, right? The empty feeling because shame has done all of its stealing. Mm -hmm. So one has been robbed of something that one was full of before, and one is now empty. Now, that's a curious thought. If we consider that, what did I, is the problem that I had something and now it's lost or is the problem that there's some sort of inherent flaw in me? Uh, Are those two things necessarily incompatible? Um, I think it's a curious formulation at the very least. And then the person is in need of healing. So the person is sick. So we have a number of different um, issues to be solved by a Christ here, which who, who is introduced at the end of this, um, at the end of this verse, and I'd like to actually bring up these words of Christ about being heavy laden. Yeah. In Matthew eleven, often these are read out of context, which is fine. I don't have any issue with that. Um, but it's it's interesting to me to note that it comes after a. Uh, rebuke of cities that did not believe in uh, Christ and did not repent. And uh, it comes after that and a prayer to uh, his father in heaven where he thanks his father that um, he has revealed these things to children but hidden them from the wise. And then he says, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So Christ offers the Christian a yoke that is light in comparison to the heavy and uh, difficult burden that they were under before repentance, before turning to him. We don't see the yoke of Jesus mentioned in this song, but he is offered as a remedy to the weariness and heavy ladenness. The last thing I'll mention is that there are several instances throughout the song and even in the beginning of this song in this verse of 
very colloquial American English language. And I think this is deliberate on the part of either the songwriter or the producers. So, for example, um, bout instead of about. Yeah. Uh, ain't. And then after ain't a double negation, ain't no. Yeah. Um, use of the possessive pronoun with a personal name is also a colloquialism. It's not necessarily wrong to do that, but if I say my Colin, well, it's clearly invoking a more um, intimate relationship there, mm. maybe a, a a more endearing relationship between the two. Especially if you say my Colin instead my. of well, my. Yes, and, <laughs> so I was just talking about the syntax, my. but yeah, yeah, there are also several uh, things that are phonologically characteristic of the American South, like ma instead of my. Um, or even as you've pointed out on this podcast before with your kind of knowledge of language broadly, rural American populations too, right? Yes. people, even yeah. people in rural Washington state might sound like this, right? Yes. And uh, there is a very prominent theory. Uh, it's kind of controversial, but I don't think it's crazy that the bigger distinction in the United States is not between Northern and Southern English, but between urban and rural English. And I think there are certainly regional differences, but I think there is some truth to that. Yeah, like I believe it. Rural, rural Michigan might be in some ways more like rural Alabama than we would like to think, like to think that sounds so <laughs> <Sure. laughs> value laden, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so there's this deliberate colloquial language. Yeah. There's some Southernisms as well. Like the ain't no, I don't think we see any um, really, really strong Southernisms like modal verb stacking, like might could or might ought to. Yeah. Might ought to go. But uh, there, there's enough here that we can see that the songwriter or the producers uh, is trying to, produce a an environment or maybe even a sentiment of um collegiality friendship mm -hmm. between the singer and the listener and it's important to be aware of that mm -hmm. um not accusing the song of no, no, no. manipulation but uh if you know anything about manipulative people they they know how to use language uh to their advantage so okay then we have this following verse He makes a way where there ain't no way, rises up from an empty grave, ain't no sinner that he can't save. Let me tell you about my Jesus. His love is strong and his grace is free. And the good news is I know that he can do for you what he's done for me. Let me tell you about my Jesus and let my Jesus change your life. So I was, you know, I'd like to give this song some applause for actually telling about Jesus because... There are songs that might say they're going to do something, like a famous example is Matt Redman's Heart of Worship, where he says, you know, I'm coming back to the heart of worship where it's all about you, but really most of the song is about how Matt Redman is kind of didn't do things right or is now going to do things right. Like, it's funny, like, it, it, this, the song actually doesn't have a lot. It has some. Didn't we ding another Redmond song on similar grounds? Yes. 10,000 Reasons had yeah. like five yes. reasons or something like <laughs> right. that in it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. The guy's a repeat offender, isn't he? Um, you know, so I applaud this song, My Jesus, for actually saying some things about My Jesus. So we actually do get some uh, descriptors and further depth about who Jesus is and what he does. So Jesus makes a way. Now, I think way, I don't know whether this was meant or not, but really a way is a road, right? So come on, Jesus. Waymaker. Yeah. <laughs> Waymaker. It's a shout out. That's right. Um, and every time we say Waymaker, we get an extra, you know, 10 listens because that was our most popular 
podcast and believe episode. It, I believe it remains yeah, that to still this day. Is. Yeah. Um, so way is a road. Jesus and Jesus, be, you know, Jesus claimed to be the way itself, the road itself. Um, but one thing to point out is the way to what. So Jesus says, and she, and she doesn't explain this. She just says he makes a way where there ain't no way. So we don't know what the way goes to. Um, John fourteen sixteen, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So it is true that following Jesus changes our lives. Um, and, you know, this, this is fundamentally true. Um, but following Jesus also changes our status before the Father. In other words, we become justified first, and then we become sanctified. We experience a change in status through the way, through Jesus, and then along the way, right, as we walk with Jesus, or literally walk upon Jesus in some respects, like our, our very, he's our very ground, he's the rock, um, we also experience a changed life. We are emotional needs get met. We have peace. We have joy. Um, our behavior changes, those sorts of things. And I, I'm not, this is not a, necessarily a ding to the song, but um, the song brings up this language of making a way. But there's just a lot more if you, if you kind of get into a term like that. And there are other terms in the song or imagery in the song where there's kind of a, a touch like the, it's almost like it's almost like the author is kind of skipping on stones like stepping on little stones um across like kind of a deep river and we don't ever get to she doesn't pause long enough sometimes on these stones to actually like see what's down below them and what's what's going on so th- that's just kind of one example hmm. yes although I would say um, it is still a powerful thing to say that where there was no way before, he makes one. Yes. He is, as the creator, he is able to fundamentally alter the universe according to his will. Yes. And And there's biblical language, too, there. I mean, making um, crooked paths straight. Yes. Right? I mean, there's definitely... My point is, I mean, she's she's signaling, she's using language that signals deeper things. And yes. she does definitely touch on those things. Yes. Uh, and again, like I said, I'm not quite knocking the song because, a, you know, it's not like she can pull all of this out and fit it and make it rhyme and make it as catchy. But, but we, I think our job has to be to kind of point out what is also there. Well, I actually interpreted this in light of the following line. He... Yes. Makes a way where there ain't no way. He rises up from an empty grave. Well, if we know anything about graves, not to be cheeky about this, right. but if we know anything about graves, there's only one way. Yeah. You go into a grave, yeah, right? It's a dead end. According right? to nature. <laughs> like yeah, yeah. the only way is in nature is death. Yes. And there is no way out of the grave according to natural principles. Yeah. Um, and and she's and you know, the song says this too about sin, right? I mean, again, sin is death as well, but there isn't no sinner that he can't save. So, um, you know, Jesus can save sinners. Uh, this is an abstract statement in the song, by the way, like it, it is mentioned as a point of fact. Um, yeah. It would be nice if this song made a more explicit, because, you know, the song is, is, is portraying a person telling another person something. Yes. And it'd be nice if there wasn't just a, and by the way, this is a thing that can happen in the abstract. Like, no, Jesus can save you. Right. Now, yes. She does get to that, I guess. Yes. But, but um, I actually read that and even wrote in my notes implied. Yeah. Even you, I wrote implied, even you actually. Right. Um, because if you're in conversation with someone and let's say they're, they're not a Christian, they're not interested um, and you're telling them about the benefits of yes, Christ, you can sure. say, look, there's nothing that anyone could ever do that would bar them from God's love. Um, you're making an abstract statement, but it is p- 
pointed at the person in a sense. Fair point. So, yep. Fair point. Um, <laughs> he, so we have all this stuff about Jesus, as you mentioned, he rises from a uh, grave. I, I wanted to be very picky and maybe this is annoying to you and to listeners, but the grave that he rose from was empty after he rose from it. Does that make sense? So, like, he didn't rise uh, from an empty grave. The yeah, grave sure. was full, and he was in it. Yeah. And then he rose out of it, and then sure. it was an empty grave. Maybe that's pedantic. No, I'm glad that you said that after I was pedantic. Uh, it's good that you did the same thing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. It's I, like he, he, he didn't perform yes. a hoodwink. Like, it wasn't yes. It wasn't um, on Arrested Development Job's Aztec yeah, tomb or whatever, right. where it's like, he, he you know. <laughs> he didn't trick people. He yeah. really was in yeah. the grave. He really was uh, dead and really did come really back to real life. Yeah. So... Um, yeah, we know what she means, but you're right. In a in in strictly speaking, it's what she's saying is not quite right. There, we learn that he possesses strong love. Yeah, this is a curious idea. Love having potency, but uh, it's a strong love and grace that is free. He's done something for me, which he can do for you, and this is good news. And the implication here, not explicitly stated, but implied, is that I was, and am maybe, uh, still a sinner. Mm -hmm. Um, And then there's an invitation to let Jesus change your life. So now it's no longer merely let me tell you about him, but let let him change your life, because he will. And I think that's, at minimum, strongly implied. Like, you know, I think there's... Could go a little bit further, but you know, it's, sure. it's you're right. I mean, if you think, I think, I actually really think your idea. This, imagine you were having a conversation and saying this. I think if you do think about it that way, you know, it's it's easier to be a bit less critical or you know, pedantic or whatever you want to call it. I would just note uh, she mentions that his love is strong and his grace is free. Now, I presume, I mean, free can be meant in a couple different ways, at least. So one could be that the grace is comes without cost. And one other meaning of free is that it is liberal, like it is um, un- untethered or unchained. I mean, both of those things are kind of true. The first one is uh, s- slightly incomplete because, of course, while grace is god's grace is given as a free gift in christ it does come it might come free to us but of course to to christ yes i was thinking of uh dietrich bonhoeffer's uh discussion of this that it is a it is a free grace but it is also a costly grace to god and it is not a cheap grace and one of the great sins of the modern church is making it cheap yeah and, and again for the sake for a noble reason right because for in a kind of evangelistic setting, uh, it is easier to speak of a kind of scandalously free grace. But if you don't talk about the cost, it can become a kind of cheap grace as well, right? So you need to, you need, people need to know not only that grace is free, but that it is valuable, right? Because we can associate something free with something that is worthless. And like that couldn't be further from the truth. Grace is abundantly free, but it is also of cost that no human being could ever pay. Yes. No mere human being. <laughs> yes, that's true. Yeah. Hallelujah. 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 Hallelujah, amen, amen. Colin, let me tell you why I liked this. Okay. The I don't know whether this was intentional or it just happens to be a consequence of the rhythm of the song, but the emphasis in hallelujah is on Yah, yeah, or God, Lord. so yeah. praise ye the Lord. And I was thinking, um, how nice to hear it presented uh, with the stress pattern that emphasizes God in this um, imperative um, and then amen, so be it. Years, and so the past to disappear oh. 
Can wipe away the tears from broken dreams and wasted years and tell the past to disappear. Oh, let me tell you about my Jesus and all the wrong turns that you would go and undo if you could. Who can work it all for your good? Let me tell you about my Jesus. All right. So we have a either a variation on earlier problems or maybe a new problem here. So rather than, I don't know, again, songs have different formulas for second verses. In this song, the decision was made to go back to problems. And so this problem is that um, sort of sadness uh, and regret over past actions or choices or events so we have some euphemisms for those things, like tears, dreams, wrong turns. I, I think these are all ways of talking about regret in life. One difference about this verse compared to the first verse, though, is that all of these statements about a problem contain a sense that they could be solved. So who can wipe away the tears? So we begin with who, implying that there is somebody that could wipe away the tears. So there's a problem, but within the sentence discussing the problem, there's a solution. Um, who can wipe away the tears from broken dreams and wasted years um, and tell the past to disappear? So again, the past is bad, but somebody can tell the past to disappear. And that's Jesus. Um, there are wrong turns that a person could undo, but there is clearly someone who can work it all out for good, which of course is a vague reference. Well, you know, not quite vague. It is a, a, a an implied reference to Romans 8.28, very famous verse, which has been mentioned numerous times on this podcast. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. One... I guess, criticism I might have of the way that some of this is presented, and you can tell me if I'm if I'm being too persnickety. Uh, I, I kind of, in reading these words, got the impression that, at least the way the construction works, that almost God is sort of um, reacting to the things that we do. Like, we're kind of doing these things outside of his will or outside of his sovereign uh, planning, and then um, God sort of reacts and and figures out how to make the bad things that we did into good things. Like, and again, maybe maybe I'm reading that into this. Um, but uh, Romans eight twenty eight says that there are people that are called, um, that God has called for his purposes and he orchestrates their lives for good. So even, so although we might think of these things as wrong turns or broken dreams, wasted years, there's a slight difference in saying these are just things that happened and then God uses them for good. It's another thing to say, no, God has ordained all of these things for good from their beginning. Um, and also that would include like, um, so we, so the, the, song says, who can work it all for your good? Now, that's actually slightly different than what the verse says. The verse doesn't say God uh, works all things together for your good. It says God works all things together for good. Um, there is no your. So um, that good is bigger than just a personal good. Now, that's included, of course, God does work all of these bad, seemingly bad and difficult, challenging, regretful things for an individual's good whom he has called. But all of these things also work together for a, a kind of capital G good, like the good, like the good plan of God for everything. So there's a kind of cosmic good. And again, I'm not going to fault the song a lot for kind of uh, not touching on that. 
because the song is kind of a personal song. And again, I think your your idea of thinking about this like a conversation, you know, if you were having a conversation with somebody, you would emphasize God working specific things out maybe in the person you were speaking to in their life for their good. I mean, you probably would put it that way. You wouldn't want to just talk about a kind of a broader good. In fact, in some ways that could not, that might not be comforting. Like if you were talking to somebody who had lost a loved one, who is not a believer, it might be, it might seem callous even to, to just talk about this being all part of God's plan for some general good. Yeah. You know? So again, this is not a way to fault the song per se. It is just, I'm kind of using the song's more focused approach to make sure that we also bring about the biblical context, which seems to be broader in many cases. Okay. There's at least two things there. I want to get to the biblical comparison second okay because i i agree with you i want to start with where we disagree or at Mm -hmm. least where i want more clarification because you indicted the song on the claim that god was somehow reacting yeah where do you see that in this verse okay so yeah, it's it's a kind of structural thing. I'm not saying that um, this is being said, and I ho- I think I was careful to say something like implied, um, or or again just kind of based on the style or the structure. So, um, in my view, f- this second verse foregrounds the problems, the tears, the broken dreams, the wasted years, um, and then kind of brings in the solution um has has god kind of bringing the solution so and especially the second half and all the wrong turns that you would go and undo if you could who can work it all out who can work it all for your good so so again it's kind of like it begins with the wrong turns it begins with these things that you can't fix but don't worry like god can kind of come in and clean up the mess that you made and again it that is not untrue. It's just that the bigger perspective in Romans 8.28, which this is clearly referencing, is not that God just comes in and fixes stuff that we did as though he like was out to lunch for a moment and we broke things and then he comes back in, right? It's no, like there's a calling, there's that calling aspect, right? There's that sovereignty aspect, which again, I'm not saying the song is making a heretical or erroneous statement. I'm just saying, if you just rested on this song, you would have a you you might have an incomplete or slightly skewed view. I suppose is all that I'm saying. Okay, I see that. Um, I would look at the verbs here because I think they reveal quite a bit, actually, uh, and maybe the um, syntax of these two. Whose? Because they repeat later on in the in the next verse. Who would take my cross to Calvary? Who would care that much about me? So we have this format being created here, this template where we begin with a who, and the song, of course, is about my Jesus. And so the answer to all of these questions—they're rhetorical. Uh, in this, um, initially, they're rhetorical until we hear the "Let me tell you about the." rhetorically implied answer is Jesus. So, um, the verbs are indicative who can wipe away the tears. Um, and then who can work it all for your good. And then when we talk about ourselves, there is a subjunctive mood here. So all the wrong turns that you would go Ah. and undo if you could. So then you are speaking about a hypothetical, Mm. um, changing of the past and um this is why you have this is why you have a linguist on the podcast folks (laughs) maybe we're good for something (laughs) Uh, but but god is not it is not speaking of god or or of christ in a hypothetical sense he can work it all for your good and he can wipe away the tears I, i actually wish this is obviously a reference to revelation 21 4 he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more um 
I wish the song were stronger and not who can wipe away the tears, but who will wipe away the tears. And instead of who can work it all for your good, who will work it all for your good. So I think uh, that's what I would like to see it um, do. But at the same time, if this song is being sung to a non-Christian, we can't assert uh, that uh, Christ will wipe away that person's but, tears. But even that, I mean, and again, this this may be getting ultra picky, but I agree with you. And I don't know, do you think the can is in there because of that evangelistic thing? Like, it's almost like God could do these things if you let him, you know, or if you whatever, you know, invite him into your heart or whatever. Again, maybe I'm making assumptions. She doesn't say that. Yeah, I think that's you know. too far. And in, in fact, it because it doesn't say who could wipe away the tears, it's who can, who is capable okay. of wiping them so away. So there's a sense of capability. Yes. Okay, it's not subjunctive. Okay, fine. And so I think this is really saying, um, I think it is evangelistic. I think it's speaking to a non-Christian and it's saying, um, look, God does this. God can do this uh, for you. If you don't rely on God for this, where are you going to place your faith and hope? And then actually, when you mentioned Romans 8.28, I thought you were going to take issue with a different thing. I do agree with your general, with your point that the good mentioned in Romans 8.28 is not preceded by a personal pronoun like it yeah. is in the song, or possessive pronoun uh, as it is in the song. Um, perhaps a moral of the song is be careful with possessive pronouns, right? My good, my Jesus. But um, I thought you were going to... Uh, take issue with the syntax of the verb as it's used here, work. Who can work it all for your good? Where um, God is the agent, work is the verb, and then it is the direct object of that verb, uh, the patient. And in Romans 8.28, all things is the subject. Working together for good is then the the predicate where uh, work is the active verb there. And I thought you were going to say God is reacting because he is um, working it for your good, as opposed to um, causing all things to work together for one's good. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Take my cross to Calvary, pay the price for all my guilty, who would care that much about me? Let me tell you about my Jesus. Who would take my cross to Calvary? Pay the price for all my guilty. Who would care that much about me? Let me tell you about my Jesus. You know, it's funny when I didn't notice this, but now that you've talked about the last verse, I noticed the subjunctive. So that's interesting. I see. Yes. So we we have a change in in a sense, right? So now the now the. What is it? The mood? Yes. The mood is slightly different. Who would take my cross to Calvary? Um, I think my cross is, again, meant to imply burden. Condemnation? Sin. Yeah, something. Yeah, maybe even guilt of some kind. And scripture says that we do carry a cross. Um, There is a sense, actually, that the cross in scripture is meaning uh, dying. So Luke chapter 9 verses 23 through 25. Uh, And Jesus said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? So, uh, So she says, who would take my cross to Calvary, and I, I don't think it's wrong to. Th- I, I, I don't. We don't know exactly what she means by cross. I mean, you could hear that and think that means sin. Like you could think of it, and that means like pain, maybe of some kind. Or you could think of it in the way that I think it's portrayed in Luke, which is almost my life, my 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 desire to live um, can be. Even that can be given over to Christ, and um, and I can like a person, you know, he who loses life saves, it, you know, saves it, kind of thing. Um, so, you know, um, all those are okay, I think. Um, 
but we don't know what she means. Um, pay the price for all my guilty. That's right, Colin. I'm uh, I'm very sorry to inform you that that is exactly what is said. Pay the price for all my guilty. Yes. How did I miss that? Huh. Okay. I, so she, it, okay. she needed a rhyme with Calvary, I think. Oh. So listeners, typically in English, um, when you need to make a noun out of an adjective like guilt. Yeah, substantive, right? Yeah. When you, another word for noun is substantive or substantive. Um, you have a suffix like ness, so dark, darkness. Um, sometimes leanness, like guilt. guilt you can't tenness. say guiltness. Yeah. Uh, you can say guilt, but that doesn't rhyme, I guess, is it what doesn't you're saying. Rhyme with, you just say guilt. She needed that second syllable to be E, like in the first half of the first wow, verse. okay. It's, I, in my opinion, it's unfortunate. I think we can do better. Uh, okay. But. You get what she means, you I know. I get what she means, but if, am, am, I, am I crazy for this being a huge problem? Well, why would it be a huge problem? Beyond the grammar. It's a huge problem if it causes a problem beyond the grammar. If it's just an issue of, com- like... Uh, does it does it affect just, the meaning? In so, some... uh, in a pragmatic sense, no. Okay. Pragmatically, we know what's happening. Um, it's it's kind of like, and I don't mean this to be condescending, but when a child hasn't learned to speak yet very well, hmm. pragmatically, you can often figure out exactly what they want, even though they're not speaking coherently. But the question is, is that is this what we want in our worship sure okay i don't i mean maybe is that can we i don't know why it's like short-circuiting me like a robot but well you devote you've devoted your whole career to you know language isn't there anything that you could do to make it so that you didn't have to do this for all my guilty my guilty guilty like does it have to be this way could you not say um who would take my cross to calvary who would care that much about me pay the price for yeah. I don't know. Like, there's just, I, I, yeah. I, I can't think of anything on the fly, but sure. it just seems like one okay. aspect of songwriting is making something that if it's, if it deviates from the norm in terms of poetic license, it does it in a, an artistic way. And okay. this is not so an artistic way. This yeah, is maybe just it's lazy. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Look, if it's lazy, okay. Then it's sort of like, yeah, you should have like, worked harder on your on this from an aesthetic perspective okay um if it's i mean if it's just like a a a colloquialism pay the price for all my misdeeds it's a little bit closer to calvary sure than guilty but i guess you know here here i am uh, uh, making an allegation to another of elitism but you know i mean it could also be you know maybe you know it could be that too i mean you're you're a linguist you know yeah this, that's why this bothers you so you're much. accusing me of all my elitist <laughs> right see you see what i did there listeners yes. I, I just use an adjective as a noun did that make sense to you yeah uh, actually well, it's actually it's good that's Proving not my point. great example because elitist can also be used as a noun as a substantivized adjective but this is the final episode <laughs> of the worship review <laughs> Uh, you know, okay, fine. Okay, I'll, I'll pay the price for all my annoying. Okay. Um, I'll be quiet now. Yeah. Uh, okay. Back to uh, scripture, I thought that this verse was, barring any grammatical concerns, reminiscent of Psalm 8. So if we look at eight, Psalm 8, 3 and 4, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? I thought this songwriter was reflecting in this uh, song, My Jesus, on man's undeserving status before mm-hmm. the creator of the world. And... Um, 
Jesus says in Mark 10, 45, even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And I like this word ransom because uh, we see this price being paid for the singer's guilt in this verse. And that wasn't so hard. And <laughs> listeners, you can't see my face right now, but it it's contorted. Um, <laughs> The singer is reflecting on a price that was owed that has now been paid. And so when you mentioned this first line, you were like, I don't really know what the cross is meant to signify here. I think I do. I think if you take it in context, the the second line interprets the first line. So who would take my cross to Calvary, pay the price for all my guilt? Um, the the We know that the wages of sin is death. And Christ bore this woman's cross. He bore the death that she was owed. These wages were owed to her. And he bore them for her. Um, He paid her debt in a sense. And so uh, I think this verse, I, I, I don't like the grammar, but I think it is... A very good reflection. Yeah. Absent that concern, it's a very good reflection on man's undeserving status of Christ's perfect love. So. Agreed. Okay. Now, Colin, do you have any concluding remarks? I would just say, I think for what the song is, um, it's clear in terms of what the song seems to be about in that it's a person telling another person something. And I think especially as you have really characterized this nicely, if you were in a conversation with somebody and that's the way that we think about this song, I'd say it does a decent job of representing how a person might talk about some of these things in a conversation. It is definitely true that there's some superficiality here uh, there's, there's also plenty of substance, but, and there's no major error. Um, it, it grammatically, does, yes. Okay. <laughs> Why are you the way that you are? You know, it does, it's kind of got the gospel in there. And at the same time, just kind of almost through a dim window in some respects. So it's, it's, Okay. It's pretty okay, I think. What about you, Tyler? Yeah, I like the sentiment of this song. I like that it seems to be very evangelistic. I think we don't have many songs, actually, that uh, are effective as evangelistic songs. That's a key distinction. Yeah, effective. Yeah. <laughs> we do have some that are ineffective. <laughs> yeah. but, um, and it is... I, I, I like the ways... I like the things that it reflects on. I like that it is uh, focused on Christ bearing this burden for the person. It says it's going to tell you about Christ, and then it does tell you about Christ Mm -hmm. and tell you about his work. So I think it's good. I think grammatically we can do better, but, you know, uh, it is what it is. Yeah. And, Colin, what would you give it out of five? I will give it three out of five Christian ghosts. Now, no, no, no. My thought, my thought for that is, no, no, no. Listen, so when you watch a music video, um, the music video, like, there's, there's kind of two stories going on in the music video. A little girl is in both stories. The little girl, um, there's like the little girl with her parents, and her parents are sad because they've lost uh, one of their children, and the little girl's brother, presumably in the video. And so then like, there's all this sadness going on in the house, but then like, there's some scenes of the little girl outside with this boy who we realize is, you know, her brother that has died. But then there's this moment. So like they're out there playing and they're like tossing the leaves. And then there's this moment partway through the video where like the, the boy tosses leaves on her. And then like the camera, like looks at her and then the camera turns back to where the boy is and he's gone. And the little girl's like, "What? Well, where is he?" And I, I just kind of, it just kind of uh, rubbed me the wrong way. Okay. Like, like, are you saying that? 
Yeah, it's like, was this boy not... Like, the video sets it up like these are memories, maybe, yes. of the girl yeah, yeah. with the boy. But then he disappears. Okay. And I, he's in white, you know, and it's like, okay, so what, was he a ghost? Like, I In see. which case, this is kind of a problem. So, not clearly remembering this scene from your description of it, that sounds to me like an allegory for the abrupt removal of this brother from yeah, her life. maybe. Where she's enjoying childhood. And maybe that's what it is, but, you know, if you're... If you're just watching the video, it's yeah. almost like he's a ghost. So the okay, I hadn't I had not thought of that. The the video made me feel uncomfortable near the end because the whole the whole video, her parents are they're so focused on grieving, which I I don't judge anyone for, of course, that they totally neglect this child. <laughs> and then at the end, she's at the church for the umpteenth time, and they pop up, and they're in the church yeah. walkway, and they're all cheerful they're and totally happy. happy. And we all just kind of go along with it. Like, <laughs> sure. uh, not only has this uh, family been torn apart by this yeah, brother's tragedy, death, yeah. but then um, the parents kind of get away with neglecting the daughter <laughs> in a number of ways. Um, I don't I don't know what that was meant. So, um I gave it three out of five guilties. Uh, um, it, I don't know why Colin. It really bothered me. It's I don't, like I, it. and I don't think it has anything to do with me being a linguist necessarily. I think. I mean, have we seen a song that has that glaring a hole in its grammar before? Uh, maybe. It's hard. To, we've looked at a lot of, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. It's a pretty big one for sure. Like I definitely, I mean, I, I literally I thought mean, that just, I had written down the words wrong. Yes. And and sure. that's what gra- grammatical errors do when they're major is sure. they, they be, they actually, this yeah. is a key, okay. this is a key point. Major grammatical errors inhibit comprehension. Yes, that's Minor true. grammatical errors do not. Yeah. Okay. So that's a fair point. You're singing this song in a church on a Sunday and it's, that's a big enough error that it, you know, half of the church is going to be like, wait, what? Like they're going to so. look that up on the, they're going to see that on the, on the projector up on the screen and be like, wait, yeah. this is a miss. Yeah. I think a lot of people would say, oh, yeah. there's a typo in the slides. Right. And then, you know, the worship pastor is going to say, no, it's actually the, how the song actually. is written. Actually. <laughs> actually. And, uh, and that is how schisms form. So yeah. uh, maybe yeah. churches are dividing all over the country over this song, just as this podcast is divided. Okay. Yep. So, who will pay for all that divisive? I don't know, Colin. Can you can you say, <laughs> listeners? Thank you yeah. once again for tuning in. This has been a very interesting episode. Yeah. It did not turn out the way no. I thought it would. These are fun ones. Yes, I like going back through the CCLI and seeing what is popular in the U.S. It surprises me sometimes what uh, Christians in America are willing to do. Surprises or shocks? Shocks. Yeah. Shocks may be a strong verb to use here. It shocks me sometimes. All right. Yeah. Oh, oh, one other thing I, I, I forgot to mention in the introduction. Apparently her claim to fame, uh, now that we've gone through the song, I feel like we can talk about some of the yeah, sure. uh, context a little bit more, was singing What a Beautiful Name oh, by yeah. Hillsong Which was the f- at her brother's yeah. funeral. And yeah. this song, someone heard her sing What a Beautiful Name and... Um, I guess gave her a record deal, so she. It's a, it's a, it's a, and we don't very fault her for that. Our podcast, our podcast wasn't out yet, so it's okay that she picked that song. <laughs> and that was the first song that we did. Listeners, check out our new website. Oh yeah, the Worship Review two point oh. I, I guess the Worship Review dot com. Yeah, the Worship Review dot com. You can see uh, all of our past episodes in a spreadsheet with our scores and quantifiers. So you can it's see impressive. how uh, accurate we are according to your opinions. Oh, and I'll say one more thing, too. I really, I started looking into, I learned a little bit more about her story and watched some interviews with her and stuff. A lot of the props on the video are not props. They are actually possessions that belong to her brother as well, like the duck and some of these other things. That is, yeah. it is a very, she has a very moving testimony and it's mm-hmm. a very moving video. Yeah, and seems very resolute in her faith. Like, seems very sincere. Like, I don't get the impression that she's using this tragedy. Right, exactly. No, seems very sincere. Well, 
thank you, Ann Wilson, for sharing your music with the world. And a thank you, listener, for tuning in. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. You've been listening to The Worship Review. Please subscribe to the podcast, leave a comment, or email us at feedback at theworshipreview.com. We accept donations at anchor.fm slash theworshipreview and patreon.com slash theworshipreview. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.